0: The Story Of is brought to you in partnership with Knowit, the all-in-one credit management solution empowering businesses and accountants to mitigate credit risk, reduce debtor days, and boost cash flow. For more information on Knowit or to sign up for a free trial, check out know-it.co.uk. That's know-it.co.uk. Welcome to The Story Of, a show about founders, innovators, entrepreneurs, and the stories behind the businesses, technology, and movements they have built.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lucy Cohen, and I'm one of the co-founders of Mazuma. We were the first ever subscription accounting service for small and micro businesses. And in this episode of the story of that's what we're diving into, we're diving into the story of Mazuma.
0: I'm Phil Hobton And on the show today, I'm joined by Lucy Cohen, author, innovator and disruptor in the accountancy space as we dive into the story of Mazuma. So Lucy, I'm gonna ask the big question, right? Like, because looking at your background, it's not like you were in practice and you were like, I can do this better. You kind of just decided to just go, I'm gonna set up an accountancy business, right? So how, and I guess even more so, why?
1: Yeah, so I didn't come from a practice background and I have always been quite impulsive and very sassy. Uh, which is probably a surprise to absolutely nobody who knows me. Um, But really it came from having seen my family struggle with accountancy and that relationship with accountants. So most of my family are self-employed and they're creatives. So they're actors, dancers, musicians, composers, um, artists. So a lot of those, most of those roles actually that exist in the world tend not to be employed. So I would see my dad kind of schlep off the accountant's office once a year with a, you know, accordion file of paperwork, I'd see the stress where he didn't know what his tax bill was going to be. I'd see the stress that he didn't know what the accountant's bill was going to be. There was no ability to plan through the year. And it's from that that I came up with the idea of Mizooma. We started in 2006 when I was 23 um, in a time before cloud software. So there wasn't this this availability of real-time data or any data, really. You had desktop applications you had cd roms and unless you were a finance-based person you probably weren't going to use them you relied on that kind of annual relationship with an accountant and i just thought there's got to be a better way of doing this right all these receipts he's got what if he gave them to me and i could figure out what his expenses are, what his income was, what was going to be taxable, give him a kind of rolling estimation of what his tax bill is likely to be. What if I could do that every month? And then at the end of the year, all the hard work's done. It's a fairly quick job to get the final compliance work done. And that's, that's where it came from. It came from it came from that mindset and it was, it was my big jolly in life is problem solving. I love solving problems. Give me a little problem to solve and I'm happy. And it was problem solving as I saw this problem and I thought this is a way to solve it. It didn't really occur to me that I didn't have any of the background uh, skills or experience to do it. It didn't cross my mind that I would have a very steep learning curve. I was like, well, if other people are not qualified accountants and they're doing their tax in themselves, then um yeah i've i've got some qualifications i should be able to figure this stuff out and um that's uh that's what i did
0: i mean there's so much to unpick there I, i'm not quite sure which bit to start right <laughs> so, start? so like not only so not only do you go from not having founded a business to founding a business yeah but you you yes i know right and you do it in an area that you're not that you're comfortable with but you're not necessarily experienced in yeah and then you do it where the technology doesn't really exist yeah to do that so yeah <laughs> i guess the question is where did you start because that's a lot of different i know you like to solve a problem but that's a lot of different problems so so where did you focus in first
1: well, I think I wonderfully, you don't know what you don't know, right? So I had no idea that all these things were really obstacles. I just as I came up, against, well, how am I going to how am I going to get this information from people? Well, people typically keep it in a shoebox or they keep it in a folder somewhere. So what did they send it to me every month? How are they going to send it to me? Well, they can post it to me. People use posts all the time. Let's use the postal service. How are they going to do that? I don't want it to like, look like everything else. It needs to be something they keep around them. So they remember to do it. Let's have a purple envelope. Let's do that. And purple came from, it was the cheapest one to buy in Staples. That's the only reason we started with purple was because that was the cheapest pack of envelopes to buy.
0: I love that. It was literally like, no one was buying purple. So you were like, well, we'll oh, buy purple. the purple cheap ones.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and then it was like, okay, I will give somebody 12 purple envelopes. Um, and... And I'll put my address on the front of it. And that was that was it. You know, we started off with people having to pay their own postage and it was literally just a a paper purple envelope. And it was just this is how you get information to me. It was posted to my house um, and I will do the work and I'll post it back to you with your reports on the front. And yeah, that was it
0: and how did you how did you kind of because obviously like you said at the time cloud accounting wasn't a thing i mean no. you were you were years off from cloud accounting and, yeah. and zero even being launched let alone <laughs> being launched in the uk so how did you what was your kind of approach to that technology at the beginning because i want to talk later on about how you've kind of bucked all again you've bucked all the trends and said hey there's all this great technology out there that everyone's uh, everyone's uh, built and delivering i'm going to do my own I don't want that, I would
1: make my own thing.
0: So so how did you start with the technology back then? Because obviously the idea was probably 10 years in front of the technology.
1: We were just using old legacy systems. So we were using um, uh, like an Excel plugin called VT, which got through the bookkeeping quickly enough. It was very analog and allowed us to um, process that work very quickly. And then we were using um, I think tax calc did exist back then. So I think we were using TaxCalc for the kind of first rounds of tax guns and things like that. And that's what we used for years for a very long time. That was the tech stack, which was basically an Excel add-in and tax calc. That was it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not not so much a stack as a, a small pile.
1: Yeah, a, a, a um, yeah, a petty four plate of tech. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. (laughs) exactly that okay so so obviously you've got the idea you 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 kind of reconnect with your your childhood friend and and you decide to to start this business journey together um how you've got a family of network and and creatives and i know from having creatives in in our family that's quite a tight-knit group so probably Mm -hmm. actually i think i might know the answer to this but Outside of those, your, your, your family, who I'm assuming were probably some of your first clients, right? Yeah. You, you're like, not let me do this for you. Yeah, yeah. that, how did you grow that client base?
1: Networking. Um, so bearing in mind that the first business advisor, so I was very enthusiastic about this, obviously wrote up a lovely business plan, got it bound, went to see a business advisor, and um, they told me it was a terrible idea. <laughs> they told me that Mizuma was an absolutely terrible idea that you couldn't call an accounting company Mizuma. that you couldn't rebrand the accountancy you definitely couldn't make it on a subscription um that accountancy was the way it is for a reason and it's been left untouched for millennia apparently um and that no one that we shouldn't do it and I was like well you're wrong Ian um <laughs> uh it's uh it, you're incorrect um so we did it anyway because I just felt like they were wrong and it just felt really non-entrepreneurial not to want to go and disrupt something and yeah this was the days before anyone called anything a subscription we called it like fixed monthly fee and even that was like and and the thing we got asked all the time was why isn't anyone else doing it and I was like I don't know it seems so (laughs) blubbing obvious like I really don't know it seems such an obvious way to run things um Yeah, so it was networking. So um, you went to a few networking events, um, met people, and it was literally, you know, the cheapest business cards we could afford. They had both of our phone numbers on it because we couldn't afford two sets of different business cards with different phone numbers on them. They're only printed on one side. It was just going out and speaking to people and then speaking to enough people and charming them enough to have a further conversation and explain to them what we were going to do and like, get people signed up and in those early days it was payment by standing order which was messy and difficult to change and it was very hard to manage expectation and I'd never run a business before I barely worked you know um <laughs> I was 23 so um yeah it was a very very steep learning curve so
0: one thing and and again i can't i obviously can't speak for this directly but i'm going to make an assumption that that back when you started this and being that you were kind of a young female in the in the accountancy and and kind of tangentially technology space that must have made it a a bit harder right like being a young female because let's be honest the industry might be more diverse now than ever. But back in the early 2000s, accountancy was not known for its diversity.
1: No, um, I think it's not being easy is an understatement. Yeah, I um, it was really, really tough, not just in not just because of the accounting space itself, but because of business dynamics generally. I can't tell you how many times I walked into a room and I was the only woman in that room. And that's happened. It's it's still shamefully sometimes happens. Um, I'm very often the only woman on a panel or I'm, you know, I'm the only woman in a community group or something. It's more diverse than it was. But certainly back in those days, I was going in there as a young woman, often on my own. um, And I was the anomaly. And I got asked things like, um, oh, I assume this is your dad's business then or um, are you the PA or just like rank stereotypes and I look back at how strong I must have had been back then and sort of give younger me a bit of a pat on the back actually because I put up with a lot uh some of it very inappropriate um I put up with a lot back then in order to grow the business and you have to work when you are not the norm when you look different to everybody else um when you don't have uh, experience on your side um or age on your side um you have to work four times as hard as anybody else just to get to the start line so there was a firm of um uh lawyers who set up um only a couple of years older than us had set up their own kind of a law thing around the same time that we knew and they were young men and they didn't have the problems accessing conversations in the same way we did, even though ostensibly we looked about the same age. They, It was just easier for them to have those doors open because somehow that credibility was there. Oh, it's a young man, it's a lawyer. Yeah, they're in a suit. Absolutely. It wasn't there for us. And it, we just had to work really hard. We had to be undeniable. We had to be like five times better than everybody else just to get the same result. And it was hard but that kind of it allows you to adopt an excellence mindset and so you just everything you do you're like right we're going to be scrutinized here so we have to be undeniable so how do we get to the place where we're so good that every question someone throws up but, but what about this but how about that what happens if this you've just got an answer for it and you can prove it so it's just about constantly having that proof there was no blagging our way into anything we could we couldn't do that and it makes me laugh when um I hear about uh, so obviously further on in the business journey now, and we know the statistics on investment from VCs into female companies are still woeful. Yeah, it's yeah. still one percent of VC funding in the UK goes to female-led businesses. I mean, so we're still we're still fighting that battle. Um, it just led us down that ridge of having to be undeniable. And I laugh now when I hear about people doing like, oh yeah, I've done a huge raise, and you know, it's kind of a back of a fact bucket thing, and you know, raise the seed round of this, and I'm like, wow wish we'd had that. I wish that I'd had those doors opened or those opportunities or been able to get into that room and maybe look different and see what we could have done. But that wasn't the fact then. And whilst it's frustrating and it isn't fair, um, it has made me the business person that I am today. And I can be undeniable.
0: I love that. I think that's such a... So, so just dialing into that. So where does that strength come from? Because... Being 23, going into business for yourself, going through all of that, and being a young female in business in a sector that is, like you say, even today, progressive is not necessarily the word that many people would use to describe it. So where does that strength in you come from? Because there must be, because that's like, that's not something that just comes overnight, right? There must have been some inherent strength within you to, to be able to take you on that journey
1: um yeah look there's all kinds of stuff it's you know is it nature nurture you formative years experience all the rest of it I think I am by just within me naturally I'm a fighter I'm somebody who is stubborn I don't like being told I I can't do something and there's nothing like telling me you know well you can't do that to, to make me turn around and go watch me just watch me do it um so there's that I think is innately in me. I've always um you competed in sport or I danced, um, which are competitive environments. So I was always pitting myself against people who were better than me. So I think I learned rejection early. I learned what it felt like to be rejected from, you know, auditions or not winning the race or whatever it was. I learned that early. I learned that pain and I learned how to harness it um, and turn it into something. So I never saw you. Know, people talk about the fear of failure. I've failed millions of times throughout my life. You know, I, I didn't get parts in plays. I didn't get the dance audition. I didn't win the fencing competition. I didn't win the powerlifting competition. You, know, all that stuff. I've failed so many times, but it's about getting back up again um, and um, and carrying on and just. And I think I just learned really early on that that's what you do. And again, being I think surrounded by, first of all, surrounded by strong women. Um, you know, I had women around me who were achieving things in sectors where women at those places the, the times in history had no no right to be, so I had that kind of dynasty of strong women behind me and women who told me that you can do what you want. I also went to um an all girls school um so I didn't really realize I was a woman until I went out into the world and then other people started treating me differently um. If that makes any sense, like it hadn't really occurred to me that that was a thing that was going to affect how people treated me because yeah. I'd always previously been judged on my, you know, merits. Um, so that was that was a harsh learning curve. Um, and I think it's I think I've just got there is obviously to so nurture there, but I think there's just a natural fight in me. I talk about having a very busy brain. I am constantly problem solving. There's always something worrying in there as well as like. A small monkey playing symbol somewhere there's always <laughs> something going on and um i've just got that kind of i think there's that kind of slightly exhausting natural fight in me
0: i love that i think one of the things that i'm i've become acutely aware of having a daughter now um outside of a lot of what you talk about right and, and that empowerment and and, and strength that, that you have to have and pass on is that, like, I'm acutely aware that, that, that rejection and failure has become such a, a fear in the world mm-hmm. now. And from school upwards, you're not, like, I'm the same as you. I was crap at football. Um, <laughs> I was last picked at most sports. Rugby, I was okay at. Like, rugby yeah. was the one sport I was good at. But for most sports, I was picked last. I wasn't, like, you know, the, the most popular kid or, or anything like that. And so I found my way through life through a series of rejections. Mm-hmm. And that definitely builds that strength in you. And I, I do fear for, for, for people today that they're not having that rejection early on, when they get that rejection, like applying for jobs or or going for role or whatever it is, it becomes a lot harder and a lot kind of more punishing if you haven't had that journey up until that point.
1: Yeah, and people aren't taught as well that the person, like a lot of the time, it's not personal. Like yeah. <laughs> Unless, like, you've asked somebody out and they've been like, no, I don't fancy you, then it really is personal. But, you know, we've all been there.
0: Um, yeah, I had, I had that one a lot growing up as well. To be yeah, honest. do you know what?
1: I've not, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so, you know, we, we've we all been there. Then that is personal, but, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, but most of the time it's not personal. And actually, usually, most of the time, the person doing, we want to call it rejecting, but the person doing the rejecting won't remember you. They do not remember you in a year's time, in three months time, in 10 years time. They don't remember you because they were just going through a process. It's just a process. And you get to choose what you do with that. You either go, oh, well, on to the next or you internalize it and you overanalyze it and you overthink it. And and then you make that part of your story as to a reason why you can't. And yeah, I do fear that we've lost that ability to we've got and I and I hate all this kind of, you know, kids day nonsense, because every generation thinks their generation was exceptional and different and none of them are. Um, So it's the same ad infinitum, isn't it? But I do worry sometimes that um, we've not taught people how to lose and that in scenarios there will be a winner and there will be a loser and that's fine only one person can win something if there's only one prize to win and that's okay that it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're not worthy or you don't have value it just means that in this moment you weren't the chosen one and that's okay
0: yeah i love that um it's something i've i i was listening to someone talk about the other day was the concept of failure kpis and making kpis for your team Mm -hmm. specifically around trying new stuff and and failing and you know what have you failed at this month and i think actually that's a really interesting mindset to start to get into because we're taught in business uh, being an entrepreneur we're taught you know that you can't fail but yet you look at some of our great entrepreneurs and depends on who you hold up as great entrepreneurs but let's use branson as a relatively solid example they
1: fail all the time
0: Yeah, Alan Sugar. I mean, Alan Sugar's made more rubbish than he's made good products, I think, probably. Um, Objectional, of course, you know. (laughs)
1: Please don't sue him, Alan Sugar.
0: (laughs) Please don't sue me, Alan. Hey, my first computer was an Amstrad CPW. There we are. Yeah, there we are. But so I think think failure is, is so important. And I guess on that then, you know, you read your website and, 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 and your your personal website, you read the business website and you listen to you talk and you would think that that Lucy Cohen has just been the most successful person. Nothing's ever gone wrong, right? Because because that's the picture we we have to paint.
1: It's a highlight a reel. Point. It's your TV. Yeah. You don't put all the crap stuff you've done in your <laughs> CV. Like that's, and like, we just forget this. We, I think especially with the rise of social media, we forget that people are human. I like am a deeply flawed person, but we all are we've all got our hang-ups and our neuroses and our uh, and our problems and our issues to deal with I talk a lot about mental health I spent a life in therapy you know and that's stuff I'm happy to talk about because everybody has that stuff and everybody's got failure stories and everybody's got things that didn't go well and everyone's got stuff they they cringe at and they go oh god I can't believe I did that that's oh it still gives me like that cringe that's completely normal um and it's also really normal not to advertise that stuff all over the internet because we never used to when you go for a job interview if I kind of hark it back and I think there's this kind of there's this um fetishization of um uh of kind of you know bad news uh stories like oh I'm so relatable I've had this terrible (laughs) experience look at me I'm such a relatable person and yeah all right you are you don't have to put that out there to be relatable. There should just be a baseline of, we surely all understand that everybody's flawed. Like that's fine. Let's not believe what people put out there because in the oldie days, when it was all more analog and you went to a job interview, you didn't go into your job interview and go, here's my lovely CV and here's my presentation. And by the way, here's this time I had a complete meltdown about that thing. (laughs) and i had a massive (laughs) argument with my partner at this and I can't do that. You don't do that. Like, it has to be context appropriate and we've just forgotten with this blurring the bleeding edges of life and personal and personal brand and we've just forgotten that that behind those things there are real people and you know, I'm open about uh, a lot of things the challenges I face but I'm also keep a lot of it for myself I don't share everything about myself because otherwise you have to keep some back. Some stuff back for myself, and um, yeah, I, I just find it a really interesting kind of yeah, the bleeding edges of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I think like what you see sometimes. I I so I guess I went for a job interview once, and part of my background, my 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 dark history of my previous career before all of this was I was. I have my own film and TV business, and we made a couple of feature films. They got released, and that was like two thousand and eight was the last one. So you forget about that stuff, and it's like in the ether. But I once built because I was trying to get funding for other projects. I once built myself a Wikipedia page that focused all around that, and that Wikipedia page has haunted me more than anything I've ever done in my life. Because (laughs) it's come up, it's come up at job interviews where people (laughs) googled me and seen it, and they've gone so. This is really interesting, but let's talk about the film that made the the, the action film. And you're like, no, but I don't want to, because instantly I'm not gonna get the job now because you're not interested in me as the business person. Yeah. You're interested in me as the media guy that made a film and yeah. it's like and I can't get rid of that Wikipedia page. It follows me around like a bad smell and I genuinely I deleted it. Like, updated. like I've tried so many times now. And this oh, is the wow. point, right? So these things these things now. It's part of my narrative, as part of yeah. who I am, and that's why you have to be a bit more careful. So, so looking at the Mazuma then I guess um, let's talk just quickly about some of that journey because obviously the company's gone from strength to strength, um, but there must have been some some bumps along the road. There must have been times where where that inexperience that you brought into it kind of almost well, or caused problems or caused challenges oh, for you.
1: Yeah, obviously, of course, it did. I don't know how to hire people.
0: <laughs> like,
1: I, I, you know, I've hired some um, absolute shockers over the years, like people I should never have hired. That
0: have I think been. we've discussed this actually. <laughs> I think we've talked about this previously.
1: Like people I should never have hired. Like that's definitely the thing. I've, I've given people way too much grace. I've not trusted my gut because I'm inexperienced now. My gut instincts are usually pretty good. Um, I'm fairly, I'm very self-aware. I'm quite in tune with kind of things. I, it wasn't until much later I learned to trust my gut and understand that your gut feeling is actually your brain processing things quickly in a way that can't really articulate itself to you. You can't put something into it, it just kind of sends a signal to your body to go, well, this isn't right. Your brain's actually already made assessments of like 55 different things and it's telling you things, but I ignored that because I don't have the data for it. So actually maybe I should ignore it. I've done that loads. I've um, worked with people I shouldn't have worked with. yeah, made decisions I shouldn't have made, wasted money on you, know, all kinds of things. Um, somebody said to me fairly recently, which is a phrase I loved, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was, thank you. They said to me that when you reach um the kind of the high levels of business, we all get there very expensively educated. And that's in <laughs> you made a load of really expensive, bloody stupid mistakes sometimes. Um, but that's part of part of the learning curve. I think we're going back to the kind of that pain of failure, I think there is no better learning experience than the abject pain of screwing something up and then having to fix it yourself and being accountable for it. And the yeah. first time this happened to me, I was actually working for a jury's hotel group and I blagged the job in there because this was I so I worked in film and tv for a couple of years before I became an accountant I left the life of life of glitz and glamour slash standing <laughs> in a wet, slash standing in a wet field for 11 hours a day six days a week six days a week um yeah. I left that life and I was like I don't want to do that anymore this is terrible I definitely don't want to do the degree I thought I wanted to do because that was in media so um I went to a job center and I was like Uh, like a a careers advisor thing. I was like, what can I do? And they're like, you're quite logical. You're pretty smart. What about accountancy? I'm like, done, sold. Walked (laughs) across the road to Jury's Hotel Group. I was like, "Have you got any jobs in accounts? They were like, that's really weird. Our purchase ledger clerk has just left. Can you do purchase ledger? I was like, yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, And that's how I got my first job in accounts. Um, But I worked for a woman there called Margaret and she was the general manager of the hotel. And I had accidentally ordered... Instead of six, um, uh, instead of six cases of one wine, I'd ordered sixty cases of a very expensive wine for a wedding, and I'd signed the delivery note because I was young and experienced. I was like twenty, and I just signed it away. And these things arrived, and she came in and was like, "What is all this wine?" I was like, "It was for this order." And I looked at it, and the actual order code number I'd put in, I transposed numbers, and it would just pick the wrong code. Easy mistake to do. And I remember that feeling, that kind of like coming off the top of a roller coaster feeling in the pit of your stomach of, I have screwed up I've created a financial problem I've done all this that like obviously the supplier wouldn't take it back with delivery note had been signed it was what we ordered we're signed for it tough I created a problem for somebody else and I remember thinking I was going to get sacked I remember thinking that um I felt guilty about that I still think about it probably a couple of times a week I think about that feeling but that was a deep learning curve, That was one of the sharpest learning curves um, I experienced, it wasn't a curve, it was a a V. Um, (laughs) And um, I carried that around with me ever since, and that's part of the journey. So in business, my inexperience in doing it, it meant that I made more mistakes maybe than someone who was experienced. But I think those mistakes meant that I had to sweep up after myself, there was no boss to do it, it was my neck on the line when they went wrong and i had to figure out a solution to it and so because of that i accelerated through my understanding of business more quickly than someone maybe who was babysat through it
0: yeah i think yeah i think you're right i think going back to that failure kpi and 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 that kind of encouraging people to 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 fail i think if you go through life without failing you don't learn some of those important lessons Uh, i always remember that great episode of the simpsons where um, Bart keep like there is a competition between Bart and a hamster, and the hamster touches the, the battery and gets electrocuted once and never does it again. But Bart keeps doing it, right? You yeah. sometimes you've got to learn that lesson. So, so bringing it a bit more up to date, so you know, cloud accounting arrives in the UK um, and globally, um, and you, you have, you know, it gets to the point where you have all the tools available that you could ever possibly want to run your business. So, you decide, brilliant, let's make my own
1: yeah those aren't (laughs) for me i don't want any of those well well developed expensive tools that people have spent years doing absolutely not i'll make my own one um yeah and there's a very specific reason for that is that the way that we work is not like a standard firm um practice business whatever you call it we do have a subscription model the sorts of things we measure are very different to your kind of classic firm and the way that we work through work is far more akin to a manufacturing production line than it is to what you might think of in a traditional office. Now, that sounds really brutal and ruthless. And in some ways, I'll be entirely honest, it is. I have very tight deadlines on things. We're really stringent about how we apply them. But because of that, it meant that what was out there wasn't kind of fit for purpose. And um, we had a choice when people started talking about MTD and you know how we were going to work with that with our client base obviously we work at high volume um about how we're going to handle it and we looked at all the solutions out there and importantly what they were going to cost to our client base so we work in a fairly price sensitive market so any costs there would have to be absorbed or passed on or a combination of both so how is that going to impact our bottom line how is it going to impact our client retention if we had to pass costs on all that kind of stuff we did a, we did a lot of work around that and we just came to the decision that actually For what we want it to do, we could build something that was completely bespoke, fit for us in the way that we work um, and would take it from onboarding through to full general ledger, filing to HMRC, um, VAT and MTD in the future, up to trial balance. and it would mean that the cost of that plus efficiency savings would give us an ROI in a relatively short time span compared to just getting an incumbent piece of software in and then having to work our processes around it. And that's that's what we did. So we went we went on that journey, and it's obviously taking twice as long, cost twice as much as we thought it was going to. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what it does. It's like a house, it's like a house renovation, isn't it? Um, but it means we've got a, it means we've got really, I don't want to big it up too much, but it's a pretty incredible bit of kit that is churning through stuff and now we can see that commercial application is way outside of what we just do with it internally as well so brucey bonus for that too
0: yeah and and you're right and i guess one of the things that 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 allows you to do is insulate yourself from from the market and price increases and we've seen over the last six months lots of stories of apps and software and technology in the accounting space, suddenly realizing they've got to make money yeah. because they've run at a loss for so long. And, and now they have to change that, that yeah. gr- added price, um, pricing that, that, that people have got used to. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, probably rightly so as well, cause you know, otherwise they, those businesses won't be there, yep. but that has a massive impact. So if you can <laughs> insulate yourself from, from that, and then find additional commercial, commercial uses for what you've built, actually you become it's a very attractive proposition right is there a danger though if you start if you become the provider of software to others Mm -hmm. that you that that focus that laser focus that you've had kind of all the way through starts to get a little bit separate because building a counseling firm is one thing building a technology business and growing that is is it oh is that a challenge that you're like bring it on
1: of course i might bring it on <laughs> of course you are when then people are like oh this is a problem I'm like no i don't see this as a problem at all i see this as a gigantic opportunity so yeah on the surface of it there's um uh you know, th- there's conflict maybe um but also there is something here where we are so clear about who our market is. You know, we deal in a market of a client base that most other people don't want to touch with the barge pole. And with MTD around the corner, still around whichever corner it's currently around, <laughs> um, a corner somewhere, um, somewhere. people still don't want the client base. We are absolutely expert in. They're not interested in them. They can't make money out of them. And so we actually, we work as um, resource for other firms really nicely it, it dovetails beautifully there's never a conflict it gets introduced just like um you'd introduce a a, a piece of vendor software go, well this is the software we use like well this is the back office we use it it's seamless it works beautifully um clients are much less more business clients are much less Um, sensitive to who they're working with in terms of like are they going to steal the business than actually we think they are we we collaborate with other accountants all the time and it's never an issue and there's never any kind of um creep of like oh you know they're going to poach them it it just in all the years we've been doing it, it just doesn't happen because we stay in our lanes and we work together and the value of that relationship is more valuable than an individual relationship with one client who's paying us you know 60 quid a month or whatever it is so um yeah it's it's a It's a challenge that I think we can crack. Um, But it also gives us, you know, we want to be able to scale. Um, The more we can scale, the better that piece of technology is going to get because of that kind of AI element and it's learning and the better we're going to get that service provision. And ultimately what's sort of happening is that, where a lot of places have gone we're going to write a piece of software and then get accountants to fit into it we've come from accountants who are going like well how can we make software fit accountancy rather than the other way around and trying to shine a shoehorn tech stacks together or kind of frankenstein monster things together to get the output you want we can just build the thing to do exactly the output we want it's you know, we have that power and it means that ultimately what we've become is a business whose outputs happen to be really good compliance work
0: that's fascinating so i guess your journey um your journey through accountancy and, and founding your own business has taken you to some really interesting places so obviously a couple of years ago you won a pretty prestigious award at the uh, i was there I, it was fantastic i think you're the only person to ever collect an award at the accountancy Ex- accounting excellence awards in dms which was still <laughs> a, an absolute highlight for i think everyone in the room um and it, it, you know it's taken you on a journey that's seen you become a, a a keynote speaker a successful author what is it you enjoy most what's the thing that, that i know problem solving or do you see it all as different problems and just all of it is problem solving in a different way
1: it's all one and the same thing. I've got this kind of um, constant unwavering drive to me to create stuff. So to to be out to output, to create, to share, to collaborate. Like that's this kind of incessant need of mine. Um, no one's ever said about me, oh, that Lucy, she's a bit laid back. Like no one's ever said that about me. I should really, like, really, really chill. Like that's not words that ever get used around me. Um, and that's fine. It's who I am. It's all one in the same thing. And I like to share information when I've when I've created it. So if I found a way to do something that turns into um, becoming part of a mentor and community or it turns into being able to give a keynote about the time we've experienced this and how to fail. Well, I think I like dealing with things that other people might find taboo because I don't find them taboo. They're just part of human condition, failure, mental health, Um you asking for help all that stuff I think especially in the county space because you've got that professional hat on and we kind of you by professional we interpret that as pinstripe suit, stiff upper lip let's not talk about how we feel but who you are as a human directly affects how what you can achieve as a business person of course it intrinsically linked. you don't take one brain out and plug in another one at the end of the day it's all that you're all the same person they're just different facets of you and if you can get those facets to work in harmony you'll create something great. If you're constantly at war with yourself, then you'll really struggle. So I just see it all as part of the same thing, really. My book was kind of aimed at small businesses and that's about this kind of stop obsessing over when you're going to make a million pounds and start obsessing over how happy you are doing it. And then the rest follows. Just switch, you flip the priority on it and you'll find the other thing follows. And I just see all of it like that, really.
0: I I love that idea of obsessing rather than obsessing over the million do do what makes you happy and do it to I know so many people that own their business that obsess about the next big goal or the next but you look at them and go well are you you actually happy
1: you're miserable you're you're stressed you're miserable you're working all the hours like this can't be fulfilling any of your human needs you know nowhere on Maslow's hierarchy of needs does it say make a million pounds it's you know shelter food you all that kind of stuff And um, if you can work to the top of that pyramid, which I think is self-actualization, that's you working in harmony. And part of that might be: look, there is nothing wrong with wanting to accumulate wealth. If that's what, if that is that what floats your boat, great. If that's the life you want, fantastic. But if that's at the expense of everything else and you're miserable with it, then what was the point? What you crying yourself to sleep in your gold-plated bed or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> if what's the what's the point? Um, So you've got to be happy doing it. And there are people who are very wealthy who are miserable and there are people who are very wealthy who are happy. And you can choose that path. And I think if you focus on doing things that give you purpose and fulfillment first and learn how to monetize those, then that's when you get the kind of secret
0: sauce. Excellent. So as i expected it's been a fascinating conversation um but so my final question um and this is the question that we're going to ask at the end of each one of these podcasts so what would be the one piece of advice and i know it's always really hard to kind of nail that one piece of advice but what would be the one piece of advice you'd offer anyone looking to to, to found their own business and start their own business today
1: start it today
0: now yeah. immediately yeah, today. Like- what?
1: what Get on with it. So That's the advice. Get on with it. What are you waiting for? Like, why are you prevaricating Um, there? I think especially in accountancy, there's a tendency to want things to be right or perfect before we start. And quite frankly, there's a famous phrase, isn't there? If you aren't embarrassed by your first version of something, then you left it too late to start. Like, I am mortified by the marketing stuff I put out in the very early days of Mazuma, but I did it and I started. Your first of anything is going to be terrible. That's fine. Um, Just get on with it. Like done is better than perfect. Just start now if that's what you're going to do in your business. And you don't need to know everything because you'll learn it as you go.
0: You can find out more about Mizuma Accountants at mazumamoney.co.uk. And you can pick up Lucy's book, Forget the First Million from amazon.co.uk and other leading bookshops. This was the story of Mizuma Accountants. You can subscribe to The Story Of on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and all leading podcast providers. And if you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us.
1: So my fun fact, I've got many of these, but this is one that some may have heard and some may not have, is that in my late teens, when I was 16, I was actually a backing dancer for pop group Boyzone.